Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We thank God for this opportunity to meet again at the table of his word. We are going to open our study with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Father, we submit to you. We have eyes, our eyes on you, O oh Lord, and we are listening to you. Lord, we pray that you will give us ears to hear, eyes that see, and hearts that perceive your will for our life. Show us, Lord, the solution to problems and the correction for life and issues that we are facing right now. And because you watch over your word to perform it, we thank you, Lord, that we will all be touched at our point of need and no one will leave this meeting the same. We give you all glory, all honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, tonight we are looking into a study which I have entitled, Our Faith Determines our victory. Amen. This means that our victory is directly linked to our faith. You see, not only is Jesus our Savior, but he is also the author and perfecter that is the finisher of our faith, according to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. So the faith that that Christ started in he is now perfecting. And uh, this is an important fact because even if we seek to exercise spiritual authority in prayer, even if we fearlessly continue to persevere, even if we continue forward with motives that are purified by love, the bottom line is that it is the power of faith that undergirds all. Amen. Now, our faith is our connect to God. It is true that love is stronger than all, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Amen. However, there is no connection to God if faith is not present. So the idea that Christ seeks to perfect our faith, uh, it makes a fine doctrine. But in the practical outworking of our lives, I think most people resist that idea. You know, for we know that faith, in order to be perfected, it must be tested. And let's be honest, who likes testing or who likes trial? So when I speak of faith, I am not... Um, I don't mean a compilation of Bible facts or an intellectual assent to our need for salvation, and which both are you know, good. They are element of spirituality. However, they are not the substance. Therefore, to amass biblical knowledge, uh, you know, primarily takes time. But to possess true saving faith takes courage. So really, the Lord desires that we obtain a trust in him that can actually withstand and overcome the terrible storms of life. Amen. It's a faith that brings the reality of heaven to earth. So faith, as we've just said, is much more than head knowledge. It is actually our locking upon the goodness and the power of God 
so that no matter what we face outwardly, but inwardly, we stand secure. When that happens, we know that we have faith. Therefore, no matter what the world looks like outwardly, we have to understand that our faith has the potential to change it. Amen. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 makes clear about all those who possessed true faith, that they changed the world around them. Amen. And so as God did it with them, so he will do it in us and through us if we allow him. We need to really, you know, assess whether or not we know what Jesus is seeking, what he seeks to give us. And also we have to answer this question, are we willing to go after it? You see, there are some people who, you know, call themselves Christians who uh, they desire a savior who assures them of eternal life, but actually leaves them alone until they are in a crisis. And yet there are others who want him to comfort, but never to convict them. And again, some desire him to be a healer, but not to inhabit them. And still, some of us tend to want the Holy Spirit to help us obtain our own dream. Amen. When actually the Holy Spirit seeks to give us all that seeks to give us is not our own dream, but the dream of God. And that dream of God is man living in the image of Christ. Amen. You know, when God created man uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it is said that God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And this image and likeness that was lost through the fall of man can now be regained through Christ. And this is what God is seeking after. This is what he is committed to. Amen. When we come to him, our transformation into Christ's likeness. This means that God's goal is not merely to save us, but to conform us, amen, to Christ's image. Um, he seeks to perfect us, not merely to protect us. Thank God for protection, but the highest, the ultimate, is perfection into his image. And therefore, God works on our faith because it is true faith that this work goes on in our lives. <clears throat> it means that God will intentionally allow conflict to come against us. Um, things will come, conflicts will storm against our souls to challenge and to test us. Amen. The Bible calls that the trial of our faith. I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. You should be exceedingly glad on this account, though now for a little while you may be distressed by trials and suffer temptation, so that the genuineness of your faith may be tested. Your faith, which is infinitely more precious than the perishable gold, which is tested and purified by fire. This proving of your faith is intended 
to redound to your praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, is revealed. Amen. So we see that God allows these things to come into our lives, the trials, amen, so that we can be purified, so that at the end of it all, it will redound to our praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. You know, even in the natural realm, people can be babies for only so long. We all have to grow up. Likewise, Jesus is seeking to mature us, to grow us into his image. And he seeks to lead us into the realm of what you would call the impossible. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus made that statement. He says, all things are possible to him who believes. Amen. So Jesus always means what he says, and he says what he means. So if he says that all things are possible for him who believes, we have to come to agreement with his word. Amen. If we truly are living by faith and know that indeed all things are possible to us when we believe. The Bible goes on to say that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So again, this is a matter of faith. Are we going to take God at his word? So, you know, giving our life to Christ does not guarantee us a life free of trouble, but it does empower us to overcome trouble and adversity. That's why the Bible calls the Christian an overcomer. Amen. There must be something to overcome if we are called overcomers. And so what we overcome is, again, what you would call challenges. You would call that trouble. You would call that adversity. You know, in the midst of it all, God will take care of it. But what we need to understand is that he will not do so by putting us in a harmless world that is void of problems. Rather, what he will do is perfect virtue in us. He will perfect moral excellence. He will perfect goodness in us by developing character and requiring faith. Amen. And all of this creates, which creates the abiding place for a life that has been transformed. This is what God is after, this transformation. So we must get used to the idea that the Lord is seeking to perfect us and therefore has to work with our faith since our faith is our connector to him. And in order to do that, he will probably set us in some otherwise impossible situation to force us, to, or should I say force our faith to rise up. Sooner or later, we are going to be required to look the impossible straight in the eye and believe God for his power. Amen. Um, consider, for example, um, there's an incident in the Bible when Christ sent his disciples on ahead of him by boat across um, the Sea of Galilee. And this was uh, right after the miracle of the multiplication of the bread, um, where Jesus multiplied um, bread, the bread and the fish, and he fed thousands of people, about 5,000 uh, men plus women and 
children if they were present. Now, Jesus sent the disciples ahead by boat, but he chose to cross the sea himself on foot. He decided to wait until a storm is, was rolling in and there were winds that were contrary uh, and you know, lo lo lots of strong waves. He chose that time to go out and to cross the sea himself on foot. Now he could have waited for a calm day or simply arrive on the other side uh, of the coast supernaturally without stopping alongside the boat in the middle of the sea. But he chose differently. Why? Because his, he had a plan. And that plan was that he was coming to teach them, his disciples, that is a lesson on trust. So Jesus had something in mind by doing this. We're going to read this account from the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And I'm going to read from verse 22 to verse 33. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, notice that in this account that there is a violent storm. And Jesus chooses to come, as we said, not in daylight, but in the middle of the night. Amen. He comes to the disciples who are in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night. And he's coming to teach them, or at least his intention is to teach how to walk on water. Amen. So, of course, he's not making it easy for them. Remember, we just said that when it comes to faith, God will want to step up, amen, and require from us what we cannot do on our own. Amen. Now, Jesus, again, he had this wonderful plan in mind. And, of course, the disciples are... Uh, that was an added degree of difficulty for them. Uh, and the probability that they probably were physically tired, they had had a long day. And in addition, there was a storm there and they were probably more than just a little fearful. 
And now seeing a figure in the darkness of the night walking on water, it turned the, the, the disciples' fear actually into terror. And they cried out. They said, it is a spirit. In other words, they think it's a ghost. But as Jesus approaches the rolling boat, he calls out. He says to them to be of good cheer. He says, it, it is I, be not afraid. In other words, take courage. It's not me. Do not be afraid. So I believe that a personal, uh, actually practical lesson that we can all learn from this is that Jesus, when he steps in the midst of our storm and he speaks to us and says, it is I, we have to take it as a call to faith. Amen. Hallelujah. And when he says, be not afraid, in other words, take courage, he is calling us to action. Because you see, true faith will always require at some point courage. Amen. So let's notice Peter's reaction. Peter says to the Lord, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So here is an insight into not only Jesus, but also into Peter's relationship with Jesus. Ever since Peter had known the Lord, Christ had required him of him and all, all the other disciples to do impossible things, such as heal the sick, feed multitude with a, you know, a, a lunch pail of food and to raise the dead. Now, these are not things that, you know, anyone or any of them would have thought of before meeting Jesus. Now they were required to walk in a level of faith that they probably didn't think was possible. So over and over, Peter saw Jesus working miracles. Over and over, Jesus had empowered Peter and his disciples to do what they saw that Jesus did. Amen. Jesus would perform miracles and now require of them to go out and do the same. So that night in the boat, when Peter told to the Lord that if it's really the Lord, he says, he, he was probably thinking, now he's probably going to ask me to do something impossible. So could it be that this is where the idea came to him to ask the Lord, then if, it's, if truly it is you, and this is what you're doing, you're walking on water, you can cause me to also do the same because you require that from us to whatever we see you do, we do it too. So could you say that Peter was showing great discernment that night? However, we see true to form, Jesus calls to Peter and says, come. Now, Peter steps out of the boat, but we need to know that Peter is not about to walk on water, not really. Because when he stepped out of the boat, he was walking on the word that Jesus spoke to him. Jesus said to him, come, amen. So again, having witnessed great miracles, Peter knew that the power to accomplish the impossible resided in Christ's words. And as he stepped out of the boat, it is this supernatural reality upon which he's stepping. Amen. So this is really all about trusting the integrity of Jesus's word or Jesus's command. Amen. So we see Peter stepping on water, one step after the other, and he actually walked on water or on the power of the word that sustained him until 
the waves grabbed his attention. Amen. The waves were boisterous, and Peter switched his focus and started looking at the waves. And because of that, we know the story tells us that he began to sink. Now, we also see that Jesus reached out, pulled him out, saved him. But notice his word to Peter. He says, why did you doubt? You see, because Jesus, he was seeing the beginning of something great within Peter. And he did not want it to be corrupted, neither by pride or self-pity. He is fully, Jesus is fully committed to the emerging greatness that he sees in this man. And this greatness is, again, referring to his, the full conformity of Peter into Christ's image. So, again, this is to remind us that God's goal for each and every one of, us, of his children is to become Christ-like. And therefore, he's going to call us to do what naturally we could not, not do on our own strength. That would be impossible to us, but by faith makes it possible. This means that we will be called to do what we have never done before. And when we take that step of faith, we will see Jesus ahead of us. And it will probably be in some kind of a storm that we are facing. But as we walk that walk, amen, with our eyes steadfast on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, it will be for us the beginning of a miracle that is going to change us and that God may well use to also to change the world around because he does intend to use his people to bring about a change in the world. That is why he has left us here. We are on mission here. Amen. You know, in Mark, the, uh, the book of Mark chapter six also recalls that same story of Peter walking on water. And, um, and you know, Jesus, actually Jesus, first of all, walking on water and then Peter. Now, what I'd like to point out is that in Mark chapter 6, verses 51 and 52, uh, we are going to notice that the, there is a, something else that Mark brings into the story. And let me read those two verse, verses, um, 51 and 52. It says, and he went up unto them into the ship, meaning Jesus went into the ship, joined the disciples in the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Verse 52 says, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Amen. Now, what these verses are telling us is that the disciples were amazed beyond measure of all this that they had seen. Why? because they did not consider the miracles of how Jesus had fed thousands with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Amen. Um, as we stated earlier, whenever Jesus tells us that, you know, he calls to come to us and says, it is I, it is actually a call to faith. Amen. And when he says, take courage, it's a call to action. And faith, as we pointed out also at some point, will require courage. So notice that it was after that Jesus says, it is I, be not afraid or take courage, that then Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter was the only one, if you notice, who was bold enough to ask such a thing. Amen? Because it could be that to some extent, 
he kept in mind Jesus's miracles more the, than the other um, disciples. Notice again that verse 40, 52 said that the reason why they were so amazed and wondered at all that they had seen was because they did not consider the miracle of the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, what we need to understand is that oftentimes we, that is believers, the body of Christ, we compare hardness of heart to rebellion. Whenever we hear these words, hardness of heart, or all we can see in front of us is rebellion. But what hardness of heart in its simplest sense means, it's relating more easily to the natural realm than to the supernatural. This means that all of us are hard-hearted to some extent because we are moved more by what, than what we are supposed to be. Amen. We are supposed to be people who are moved by what God says more than anything else. And this, I should say, is a reflection of the condition of our heart. Now, think of it. We just read about this account here. But another account about just about the same situation occurs just a few days later. And Jesus used that opportunity to test the disciples, to stir them, to act in faith. We see that in Mark chapter 8. Amen. And um, there were about 4,000 people, uh, the multitude there around Jesus that he taught. And now these people needed to be fed. And then again, Jesus puts his disciples to the test. But what happens? They failed. Actually, Mark chapter 8 and verse 4 records what their answer was to Jesus when he told them to feed this, this, um, the multitudes. Here is their answer in Mark 8 and verse 4. He says, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Now, the question is, why did not the disciples remember? It was just a few days after all these events where they had seen Jesus feed the, the multitudes, after this uh, you know, demonstration of Jesus walking on water, where you know, they had actually you know, come and you know, they, they bowed to, to Jesus and they acknowledged that truly he was the son of God. But you see, the word of God told us that there was a situation going on there. Their heart was hardened. And that is what I would like to focus here on here for a little bit. The fact that we could not really say that the disciples were rebellious, but yet the Bible tells us that their heart was hardened. You see, the Bible uh, teaches us that when people's heart harden, that they don't reason correctly. Hardness of heart produces what you would call spiritual retardation. Uh, and in the book of Job, the Lord speaks to Job about the ostrich. And it's interesting what he says. You know, he says that the ostrich buries her eggs in the sand and then forgets so that they may be stepped on or eaten by wild beasts. And then in verse 16 of Job 39, it goes on to say that it's because the ostrich is hardened against her young. And then the next verse, verse 17, further defines this hardening as, he says, being deprived of wisdom and 
understanding. Amen. So we see that when our heart is hardened, that we do not reason correctly. Amen. And then also I I use the term that hardness of heart produces spiritual retardation. Now, before any of us says, you know, we start thinking of the disciples wondering why was wrong with them. How could it be that, you know, they were so dumb? Um, I think we should ask all ask ourselves the question, how many times we had a miracle of God happen in our life and we thought, oh, God is so good. He is so great. I'll never doubt God again because I know he can do all things. And then not long after something else happens, something bad, and then we are thrown totally in. We forget about what God did before. But you see, we don't take time and call that hardness of heart. But the Bible does because we are allowing ourselves to be influenced by the natural realm more than the spiritual. We have seen and we have tested of the goodness of God. We have come to the conclusion that we'll never doubt God again because of everything he's done for us. And yet we find ourselves now in a situation where we are doubting, where we forget everything that God has done for us who he has been to us. Amen. That is hardness of heart. Amen. Because again, we are relating more easily to the natural realm than to the supernatural. And again, this is a reflection of the condition of our heart. But I must say, there is good news because this is a condition that can be reversed if we are determined. We can become sensitive to God and we can become hardened to the world. Amen. You know, for example, someone can live in a noisy neighborhood or um, in a flight path of an airport where you're constantly hearing planes go, you know, over your, 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 your house. And it creates a lot of noise. But it happens that people get used to those noises and tune them out and they actually go to night, you know, to bed at night and they sleep. That noise they no longer hear because they have tuned them out. But now you ask, a mother about her child, about her baby, who is crying in the middle of the night, she will instantly wake up because she hears that child. Something in her makes it impossible for her to tune out that child. Amen. So the same thing happens in the supernatural, that we can be sensitive to what we want to, and we can't be hardened to what we want to as well. And this All of this has to do with allowing God to penetrate our heart by focusing on him, focusing attention, our attention on his word, paying constant attention to it. Amen. You know, Proverbs chapter four and verse 20 to 24 instructs us. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version because I think it just elaborates more, makes it more clear. The Amplified Version. Again, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 22. My son, pay attention to my words and be willing to learn. Open your ears to my saying. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing and health to all their flesh. Amen. In essence, we are told here that how we choose to consider, how we choose to pay attention to the word, 
how we choose to focus on the word will bring life to us. Amen. In other words, what we consider, what we focus on is what we get. So the believer's calling is to build his faith in the word and to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us over and over uh, that we are called to live by faith. I think five times, you know, it's written that the just shall live by faith. Um, Jesus says that man is called to live by every word which proceeds out of God's mouth. Amen. So this is really an all-out effort in which each believer must diligently, must be diligently engaged in. Um, in his letter, for example, to Timothy, we find the Apostle Paul exhorting Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, this is where he, he, he admonishes Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Amen. Now, if we take time to read that whole epistle, we'll find that Timothy was told um, to fight a good fight and how to fight it. For example, in First um, Timothy chapter one and verse eighteen, Timothy was told to fight a good fight using the prophetic revelations that he had received from God that were spoken over his life uh, through Paul and through other leaders. Let me go ahead and read that passage. First uh, Timothy 1 and verse 18. It says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Amen. So Paul is instructing Timothy on how to fight. And notice that it's all linked to the word of God. Hallelujah. So yes, this wise man was aware that <clears throat> uh, though already victorious to Christ, that he was, uh, yet he was engaged in a spiritual battle that was not just over his life, but over the life of the saints that he was overseeing in Ephesus. Amen. Timothy was, if you would call it, the pastor or the bishop over uh, the, the church of Ephesus. And Paul was encouraging him and telling him how he was to fight that warfare. Amen. Uh, Timothy had to be strong in the Lord. Uh, he had encountered problems because he was a young man. And there were many older people who challenged him because of his youth. Amen. That's one of the warfare that, you know, the challenges that he faced. So he had to be strong. He had to grow in grace and to be a disciplined soldier of Christ in order to be established in the victory that Christ had won for him. Amen. And for us also. Amen. And so these lessons to Timothy also apply to all of us. Amen. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that Paul continues his exhortation. For example, he writes here in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 4. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness 
as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Amen. So Timothy was to do this through his commitment, his involvement in the word of God. He had to study. He had to meditate. He had to apply the word of God, which he had been taught from his childhood and later confirmed in through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so Timothy really was taught how to be strong in the word, how to build up his faith, amen, and how to ensure his victorious walk in Christ and his continued success in ministry, amen. There are a number of instructions that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy, which I'm going to read. And and we must also know that as I just said, everything that is written there, it's for our learning, it's for our admonition. It is so that we can use them, apply them to our life. And when we do that, the application of God's word will make us also winners in whatever battle that we may face. Amen. Now, this is what Paul tells Timothy, instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says to him, study to show yourself approved unto God. Amen. A man who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, notice 2 Timothy again, next chapter, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Since you were a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise. And that wisdom leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, fully fitted to every good work. Amen. Hallelujah. And then finally, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. It says, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both, both save thyself and them that hear thee. Amen. So here it is that Timothy is given a number of instructions, which if he follows, and we know that he did, created a path to his victory in life and in ministry. And notice that Paul said that it would save both him, Timothy, and them that hear him. In other words, those that hear us, if we live by God's word, we'll also be impacted. And this is God's plan. As we said already, God wants to use us. We are all here on mission. Just as Timothy's path to victory was directly linked to his faith in the word of God and his application, of course, his faith is substantiated, or should I say confirmed, by his being a doer of the word. Amen. And so is our victory. Amen. Directly linked to our faith in God's word. We must therefore know and act on what God has said. 
You know, we, 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 are, we are told in the word that faith comes by hearing and acting on the word of God. Amen. So we have to understand the principle that the word of God is, you know, is the sword of the spirit that God uses uh, to, if you can use the term, take care of business in our life. Amen. So if we meditate on the word, we speak it and act on it, the word will fight for us. We will walk in victory and our prophet will also appear. You know, God's instructions to, to Joshua were practically the same. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, when the Lord told him, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, and you shall uh, observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, he says, you're going to make your way prosper and you're going to have good success. Amen. Hallelujah. So, you know, this requires a total commitment on our part. Um, and when we are faithful, we will see the, the prosperity, the benefit that God is going to bring in our lives. Amen. And we will see our peace flow like a river. Amen. Uh, we will see experience boundless joy. Hallelujah. And we will experience increase more and more through God's word. This is God's plan for us. This is how he has designed everything to be. Hallelujah. For his children. So do we see the importance of faith in God's word in our fight for all that we hold dear? Do we see the sick healed as God is using us? Do we have a desire to see family and loved ones saved? Not just wish that they were saved, but do we really want to see them come into the kingdom because we are willing to do it God's way? Do we desire the world we live in to be transformed? And if we do, then it is time for faith to arise, for us to put our trust in God's goodness and in God's power. God has miracles that he wants to just pour out on his people. Amen. He wants that, you know, they are waiting, these miracles are waiting to happen. Again, Jesus says that all things are possible to him who believes. So we need to move ahead with transforming faith that confirms that all things indeed are possible to the one who believes. So unfortunately, there are they call themselves believers, but they are pessimistic or they walk in because of either past experiences or the worsening conditions in the world. But you see, regardless of all of that, God, who is never taken by surprise, has given us his word. And the word teaches us that as long as the true church is still on the earth, there is never going to be a time when transformation of lives is impossible. Amen. His power is still moving to accomplish what is impossible to men, but possible with him. Hallelujah. Actually, Christ warned uh, in Luke chapter 21 and verse 9 
for those who are concerned about worsening world condition, this is what Jesus says. He says, when you hear of wars and disturbances, he says, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end does not come immediately. Amen. And then he specifically tells us not to be terrified. Therefore, do not submit to the spirit of terror. Have no part in it. Why? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. Amen. Hallelujah. That's stated in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Amen. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound. So we must not be terrified or fearful, but believe God for something great. Because Jesus himself has left us here and he gave us instruction. He says, occupy until I come. Amen. You know, it's interesting. In Luke um, chapter 18, Jesus asked a question about him finding faith on earth when he comes back. Regrettably, some, again, who call themselves believers, well, you know, the word believer means that we are to believe, right? So that's why it is so iron, you know, irony um, that some take hold of this scripture in Luke 18, and they seek to justify their unbelief, saying that Jesus himself says that faith will cease on earth. Well, no. This is totally erroneous. <clears throat> Jesus' words should not be misconstrued and should not be made a justification for unbelief. Actually, let's go ahead and look at this passage, this passage there. It's Luke, actually, we're going to look at two sets of scriptures. First, uh, Luke 18 and verse 1. And it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So what do we see here? The first verse of Luke 18, that Jesus gives a parable to show his disciples that at all times that they ought to pray and not to lose heart. That's why not faint, do not lose heart. And at all times you ought to pray. He then encouraged his disciples saying that God will speedily avenge his elect who cry to him day and night. Amen. Let's see the passage where he, he says this. Um, again, Luke 18, go to verse, verse 7 and verse 8. It says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on earth? Amen. So we see here that Jesus ends by asking a question which is really just a question. He's not making a statement of fact. He is asking if you will find faith. And the answer that we give is not theological, but it is personal. It is based on whether we have faith or not. In other words, will we have faith or won't we have when he comes back? So the answer is really personal. And that is why if anyone were to answer this question that, you know, Jesus' question about finding faith when he comes. And that answer is a firm no. What this person is actually saying is that the elect will not have faith at the end of the age. So we must be careful because justifying unbelief is a deception that will 
eliminate a person from becoming one of God's elect. You see, we are told right here that the elect have faith. In verse 7 and 8, he says that they cry to God day and night. And what does he do? He answers them speedily. Amen. So we have to be careful what we allow, the deception that the enemy throws, wants to throw, you know, uh, on our path. Uh, not to receive that deception. Amen. Jesus says that, why do you take the thought saying this, this, or that? So thoughts will come. And yes, Jesus did say, will he find faith on the earth? But he didn't say that there will not be any faith. He's asking a personal question to each and every one of us who reads this word. It's addressed to us so we can go and know what we must do in order to continue to walk in faith. Hallelujah. First of all, we get it, and then we know how to maintain it, and then we learn how to stand on it in order to fight a good warfare, to fight the good fight of faith. So you see, crying to God, as Jesus was just saying here, you know, that they cry to him day and night. It's speaking both about faith and about prayer. We can't be about praying if we don't really believe. There are those who pray and discern no evidence in their spirit that God has heard, heard them or that they will answer. Uh, but they are still going on, on the, you know, this exercise. It's almost like a ritual with no faith, no confidence. Uh, but they talk to God. They are unloading their problems so that they can temporarily feel better. But their faith is not activated and they don't expect any change. However, this is not what God has for his church. Jesus, his will is that we develop faith that will bring the reality of heaven on earth. He taught his disciples to pray. He says, thy will be done on earth in heaven. So this is what God wants for his people. And it should also be our expectation. Amen. And if our faith is not at the level it should be, then we must go back to the drawing board. We must go back to the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hallelujah. You know, we know again that faith does not come intellectually by just, you know, reading the Bible, but by actually hearing in the core of our heart what Christ is promising to us as his followers. And until we have that revelation, that knowing that we've heard from God, we must go back to the drawing board. We must keep studying. We must keep meditating. Amen. We must ask God for revelation. The apostle Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus that the Lord will give them a spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of their understanding may be enlightened. Amen. We must pray prayers like this over our lives. Amen. As we remain in the word and allow God to reveal himself to us. He says that all things are possible to, whom, to him who believes. Amen. And he also said that faith in him is so powerful that it can move mountains. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to close by reading these two verses, which I just paraphrased there. The first one is Mark 9, 23, which we again quoted earlier. And then we are going to read Mark 11 and verse 23. Amen. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Amen. 
Now Mark 11, 23. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, O Lord, for moving in our midst by your spirit today and teaching us about the authority, the supremacy of your eternal word to help us walk in Lord, we thank you that we understand that what we truly believe will master our, our lives. It is you, Lord, who created all things by your word. It is you who by your incorruptible seed of the word have caused us to be born again. And now we are commanded to live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So Lord, we rejoice at your desire to operate your life in us and cause us to experience you in every area of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for more grace to grow in faith so that your word will be reproduced in us and bring us to a place of fellowship with you. That is having, sharing in all that belongs to you. This is your desire for your children. And we agree, oh Lord, with your will and with your way. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we think or ask for, according to his spirit at work in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I pray that this study has been a blessing to you. I invite you to join us again next week at the same time. In the meantime, God bless you and have a good night.